0: From CBC Radio and Public Radio International, this is Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's show, Diaries.
1: July 27th, 4 p.m. One day I will write an autobiography called, Who Really Shot J.R.? It will have nothing to do with J.R. or Dallas, but it will be a very beautiful book. And everyone will wonder, why did he call it, Who Really Shot J.R.? I think this thought while lying on the couch, my hands clasped behind my head and my legs crossed. I stare at the ceiling and for a while I feel omnipotent. July 28th, 9 a.m. Zuzu, all of nine years old, has started this new thing where she walks around the apartment talking like an angry old East Indian man. Neither Hedy nor I know where she has gotten this from. When she does it, we call her Grandpa. Don't you talk back to me, she says. Get off the couch and get a job. Grandpa, I say, you have to calm down or you'll give yourself a heart attack. If I have a heart attack, it'll be your fault. She walks around the house, working herself into a tizzy about the dusting that needs to be done. July 29th. 8 p.m. I sit on the living room couch and worry about whether I made my last month's credit card payment on time. I'm pretty sure that I did, but I'm not certain. Hetty calls all of my worries bourgeois. She watches me from the kitchen as I chew the inside of my mouth. Finally, she comes over and sits down beside me. She does her Johnny imitation, her imitation of me. "'Woe is little me,' she says. "'I am so sad.' My mother has to work late and I have to heat up my own fish sticks. However, will I know when they're done? With this statement, Hetty believes she has captured my zeitgeist. July 30th, 1 a.m. Hetty and Zuzu are talking in their sleep. It always starts at about the same point in the night. First, Hetty starts in our room, and then, as though responding, Zuzu begins from her room across the apartment. They go back and forth, having a conversation made up of grunts and grumbles, and then they stop. In the morning, I will tell them all about it, and like always, they will tell me to stop making stuff up. July 29th, 5 p.m. Zuzu walks through the door, drops her school bag on the floor, and turns on the TV. She looks over to me and says, Hi. I'm sitting in front of the computer monitor. Zuzu comes over and tells me to scooch over, that she wants to play video games. I tell her I'm writing. She watches me for about 20 seconds. My fingers don't move. What are you doing now, she asks. You aren't writing now. I scooch over, and it's July 30th, 8.30 a.m. I dreamt last night that I was in Alex Papadopoulos' basement, and I was finding all these rooms down there. There were all these beds and hallways that neither of us had ever known about. Plus, in the dream, we were still good friends, just like when we were kids. I said to him, This is just like a lot of dreams I have. I'm constantly dreaming about exactly this kind of thing, and now it's happening for real. I woke up, and the blankets were all over the place. The fan was going. Hetty was already taking a bath. July 31st, eleven thirty AM I have to call Davy Rothbard up for the radio show. Davy runs a zine called Found because people find stuff on the street and send it in to him. People send in things like notes passed in class that say things like, Your breath stinks. What toothpaste do you use? Davey gets sent letters, notes left on windshields, to-do lists, and sometimes even diaries.
2: I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating to see people when they're so unselfconscious, what they write in their journals, because they never expected anyone would see that. So they're really open and honest, and you catch them in very private moments. But to me, it's kind of riveting to to read these and and see what's going on in other people's minds. Because, really, you recognize yourself in them, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh, man, I've written that same kind of pitiful love note. Or There's hopefulness mixed with heartbreak, mixed with excitement, mixed with incredible anger, you know, and, and many of them going on simultaneously, you know? And to see that somebody's so different from you, maybe, somebody you don't know, to see that they... Have experienced that same very specific blend of emotions and feelings that you have felt. It makes me feel just a little more connected to all the strangers that I share the world with.
1: Do you ever do you ever feel sort of like that you're crossing a line that you're you're going someplace that you're 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 not really supposed to be going that a line is being crossed and 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 I mean is that a part of the allure? Well, I I think
2: if I was reading my roommate's diary or my girlfriend's or my mom's journal I might feel like I was trespassing Um, I I don't feel like I'm trespassing in the same way when I read the journal entries of a stranger Mm -hmm. and I I think you know there's certainly people say you know isn't that voyeuristic with sort of the idea of a stigma attached to, to voyeurism whereas I believe a certain degree of voyeurism is healthy you know I mean Because we're surrounded by strangers all the time. Just, you know, on your way to work, walking on the street, sitting on the bus. I think it's natural to be curious what other people's experience of, of being human is like. Here's one that was found in Madison, Wisconsin. And it's a journal of this young girl from November of 1963. So... She begins each journal entry, Dear Tammy, and she signs them with her name, which is Nadine. So the first one is Friday, November 22, 1963, and it says, Dear Tammy, today the president was killed. Isn't that terrible? At school, everyone was crying except the Republicans. President Kennedy was killed by a guy named Harry Oswald. He said he didn't do it, but he did. And then the next day is Saturday, November 23, 1963. She says, Dear Tammy, There will be no school Monday because President Johnson has declared it the National Day of Mourning for President Kennedy. I stayed overnight at Jerry's today because it was John's birthday. We babysat for the next-door neighbors until 12.30. Boy, that baby's a brat. There hasn't been much news about the assassination of President Kennedy. I don't think it'll be much fun having an extra day off because you can't watch TV or radio because it's all news. Nadine. And then finally, Sunday, November twenty-fourth, 1963... Dear Tammy, guess what? The assassinator got assassinated. Yep, Harry Oswald got killed. I think it serves him right. After all, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Some people say he's entitled to a fair trial, but I think that would just waste more time. Why not get it over and done with? Today on TV, they played the national anthem on a program which was dedicated to the late President Kennedy, and I ran into the kitchen because I was crying. Nadine.
1: Do you think, like, well, like, what also makes it so appealing is that there is something sort of unsanctioned or taboo about it. Like, if, you know, if a given diary was going to be published and you were allowed to, to read it, right. it just wouldn't have the same kind of mystique.
2: Yes and no. I mean, I'm fascinated by these journals that have come in the mail, that people have found and sent in to me, and yet there's no chance of me getting caught. Per se, you know, the, the author of it isn't going to stumble into my basement and catch me reading it. So to me, I'm still riveting just to look at a stranger's life and see it so closely and the, all these, you know, personally. and It's covered three years in the span of this young man in, in California from graduating high school in LA to beginning a sort of a career in theater and then all of his tumultuous relationships with men. Ending with him realizing that he's HIV positive, and it's just—it's so. Su- I mean, sweet, moving. You get so close to this kid, and you, you start. You're rooting for him to, you know. And you're trying to coach him in your own mind, and then when he finds out he has HIV, it's just like, it's. I mean, it's re- some of it's just really crushing, you know. And yeah, so so for me, it's not. It's not so much the fear of getting caught. Um, you got another one. Sure. Um, Let me see. Someone sent me this notebook from Portland, Maine. And it was was a notebook that you can tell I belonged to a, a cook at some restaurant. So mixed in with all of these sort of recipes he's been working out, crab cakes, tomato, fennel, broth, salads, he's also got these short journal entries. And you can tell he's trying to overcome an addiction to heroin. So, for example, Saturday, July 17th, the most important thing I do today is not do the poison. I have a long day of work that I must make it through. Also, I gotta call Ma and Pa tomorrow. July 24th, stay away from H-bomb. July 26th, things to do when a heroin demon is in the house. First, recognize I'm having urges and tell someone fast. I don't even really need to talk for long because the next time I see them, they'll have either one question for me or a million. One will be much easier. And then, Bry's famous barbecue chicken sandwich.
1: Have you ever um, read someone's diary that you weren't supposed to? Oh, yeah. I've read my mom's. i
2: read my... Both my brothers.
1: Well, wait a second. Before you were making the point that you would you you wouldn't you wouldn't read your mother's diary.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't now. Oh, it's some it's maybe some... I would. I wouldn't read my girlfriend's. Mm-hmm. The reason I would read, like, say my mom's journal, or I don't know. You know what? It's just so interesting to watch somebody when they when they don't know you're watching them. Like, have you ever woken up in the room where your girlfriend is? And she thinks you're still asleep, and just to watch her move around the room and something so simple as maybe she's watching t v or looking at a magazine or or drinking lemonade but you you feel like you're getting to know them in a new way, and it's a really powerful and strange sensation you know to to see them what they're like alone in a room you know mm-hmm. and to me that's what it's like to read the journal of like say my mom
1: when you when you would read your your mom's uh, diary.
2: Yeah.
1: Was there a part of her that was revealed in the diaries that that, that you, you didn't get to know otherwise?
2: I guess you know what it was. It wasn't that there was information that was new to me, mm-hmm. but it was the voice that she used with the journal and with herself. You know, I mean, it's it was the the relationship she had with herself. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everyone has this sort of relationship with themselves when they're alone. You know. And little things you might write in your journal, little like pep talks, you know. There's just a way a way you relate to yourself, you know, a tone that you use when you're around just yourself. And so to even just see the tone that my mom used in her journal, that was that that did feel like I was getting to know her or see her in a different way. For some people, like it would, it would be such a terrible rule to break to read someone's journal that they wouldn't allow an excuse but for me if I did it it, it is because I want to know them in a, in a stronger way more than anything it, it makes me see that we're not all so different from each other you know and sometimes when, you, when you're dealing with something that's really heavy or difficult it's easy to I know for me to just feel like man no one could possibly understand what I'm going through right now and then when you read some of these other journals it makes me feel a, a little, you know, less alone. This is May 27th,
0: 1983. I think I was almost 16. Well, it's really the 28th because it's 1 a.m. We just saw Flash Dance and man, could that girl dance. I wish I was really pretty, really pretty, like that girl on the movie. Even though she was a welder, she was pretty too, but from the dancing and I wish I could dance just like her but my room's dinky even with the bunk beds I love rock I love rock I don't know what I'd do without rock music whenever Stairways to Heaven comes on I have to make everything quiet to really listen to the lyrics then there's this song by Asia God it makes me shake and it scares me and I want to actually make myself cry because I feel so sorry for the guy in it Richie's coming down for the whole summer and I want to be with him be, be with him And then I think, oh, what if I get pregnant? Would I be happy or would I be destroyed? Probably destroyed. But he doesn't notice me as more than his little sister's friend. I think I will die for sure.
1: This is Lisa Gabriel. Lisa's kept detailed diaries all the way back to her teen years in the early 80s. Like a lot of teenagers, Lisa felt like she was the only person in the world who had ever thought of keeping a personal record of her life, which made the whole keeping of the diary feel secret and special. Growing up, Lisa believed that there was really no one around who was like her, that there was no one around she could really talk to, and so her diary became her greatest confidant. But what she didn't know was that there was someone close by, like same bedroom as her close by, who was also keeping a diary, a diary that contained a different version of events. Here's Lisa again.
0: I'm going to start right from the beginning. The very first paragraph that I ever wrote in a diary It was December twenty fifth, 1981.
1: And how old were you?
0: I would have been 13, I guess? 14. says, this is Lisa Gabriel's journal diary. Right now I'm in my fourth month of high school. Many things happened, which I am going to state here. First of all, I attend Bellover District High School. The main reason I wake up at 6 o'clock every morning and take pains with my hair, makeup and clothes is one reason. Mark G. When I first saw him three years ago, I guess right then and there I wanted to get him. Oh, look, Sue's bitching to go to bed.
1: Susan. Mm-hmm. Susan's your sister, Susan. Yeah,
0: Sue. For 18 years that I lived at home, I shared a room with my sister, Sue. Mm-hmm. And she's 18 months younger than me, which made no difference when we were 6 and 8 and, and 7 and 9 and, you know, 8 and 10. Uh, and we were fairly inseparable when we were little girls. Until um, high school, my sister and I drifted apart almost overnight.
3: She never knew I had a diary. None. So I, and I had no idea she did either. All these years of writing and, and everything, I had no idea.
1: Yet yeah, you guys shared the same room.
3: Same room, yeah. <laughs> I, I named my diary uh, Rock. <laughs> R-O-C-H-E. I don't know why. But every entry is Dear Rock, Dear Rock.
2: Okay, here
3: we go. December 29, 1982. Dear Rock, sorry I haven't written in too long. A lot has been happening. Sea Cadets is going excellent. I never want to quit. I went to a Christmas dance for Cadets on the 22nd. I danced with Ron once. I danced with Frazier three times. To you and I, truly, and Stairway to Heaven. That was a really long song, and I enjoyed every minute of it our family got the Commodore Vic 20 for Christmas. I really love it. It's fun. I type all kinds of stuff about Fraser, Ron, Mark. I love it. Wendy Walker got me Loves Baby Soft. I love that too. I wasn't a real big talker and I was very shy and very insecure and very, you know, just uh, sad. There was a lot of things going on in our home. My parents were fighting a lot and it was the only way I used to close my door in my bedroom and write in my diary. And I, I, I would write songs and poems and words to different songs that I liked and drew pictures and things like that. And that's how I literally got through every day, just by writing in my diary.
0: I always saw my sister as a kind of shy, dispassionate, um, uncreative person. She didn't interest me. She was sort of a dark shadow. She would be like the Ally Sheedy to my Molly Ringwald. I just assumed she didn't have an internal life, that she did not have thoughts and feelings and emotions about the turmoil of our family or the, you know, the strangeness of new schools or the, you know, the disappointment of yet another um, house, you know, another move. I didn't think that she had those those feelings. I wrote a bunch of stuff about her. And Susan, I don't know, she's different. She doesn't write, or play guitar, or draw, or write plays, or do mime. And she's boring sometimes. And she seems miserable over nothing. And she mostly sleeps and sits around and watches TV. And she doesn't read books like I do, because it doesn't hold her attention long enough. Even the comics don't. I guess that's her problem, a short attention span. Her personality just developed in a completely opposite uh, direction. I went into, you know, clothes and boys and music and partying and uh, shoplifting and hitchhiking. And she went to the regimented sea cadets and uh, cut her hair short, played soccer, and opposite of me completely. And she had zero patience for my frivolity and I had almost none for her, you know, stolidity. And uh, we just um, weren't interested in each other's lives.
3: Even in the hallways at school and stuff, I barely even looked at her. Like, just barely acknowledged her. Yeah, and I think that's when, you know, we really drifted, even though, like, we shared a room. Like I said, I mean, we just drifted. And I didn't care what she did, and she didn't care what I did. She thought I was a dumb twit. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in cadets, dumb twit kind of thing. And she was this... uh, Uh, worldly sort of whatever fashion queen and I think she just always looked at me like I was stupid because I didn't talk I didn't say anything I didn't share anything I didn't I wasn't funny I wasn't anything February 10th uh, 1982 dear rock I'd like to talk about my gorgeous Hunk of flesh break. I really love him, but maybe it's infatuation. I don't know. But I'm glad I went out with him today. It was fun. I'll write to you soon if I can. My sister's usually around, but she slept over her friends great. I don't like
0: her anyway. Before my parents split up, I just started to disappear. I just stayed away from the house. I was starting to pepper my diaries with little descriptions and ideas, I guess, trying to figure out why they weren't going to work out. I knew it. I was young, I think 14 to 16, that their, their marriage just started to spiral down and, and uh, mostly I would distract myself from their pain by writing um, about boys and cars and whatever I could to not think about um, how sad our home life was becoming and I, I, could, I remember times when I would be seriously scribbling in my journal. You know, I love Mark, I love Mark. Jesus, I wish they would stop fighting, as though they were interrupting my concentration. Hmm. It got to the point where I wasn't thinking or concerning myself with the falling out of their marriage. It was just like, shut up, I'm trying to play guitar in the bathroom. Shut up, I'm trying to, you know, um, write in my journal in, in my bedroom. And then I just started to disappear. I just stayed away from the house. I started drinking. Um, with my girlfriend Belinda. We were both beginning to become from broken homes. Our parents were both fighting quite uh, significantly. This was March 1983.
1: So you were like 15? Yeah.
0: Me and B down half the bottle. It tasted gross because I hate seven-year-old whiskey. Yuck. I thought this would be a good time to get a few lessons on necking. Jimmy kissed me because I sort of remember biting his tongue, and I remember biting something, his ear or his neck, or something, but I don't know. Bee bumped her head, fell over. I kept collapsing. I almost passed out in Kenton's room on the way to the john. Next thing, Kimmy was barfing all over, well, really in this big green pail. So the very next thing, I was barfing all over Kimmy's little skunk and her monkey hand puppet. I ended up throwing away her skunk because it was too far gone, and I cleaned up the rest.
3: August 24th, 1985. I am so wasted. I felt like writing in you. I'm so stupid, it makes me cry. I'm scared. My heart is afraid. What's life all about? Who
0: knows and who cares? That's August 24th, 85. August 24th, 1985. Summer's almost over, and yet another tragedy, which is due about this time, has hit me. Here's what happened to me all in one day. Number one... Dale didn't call, but I really didn't expect him to. Number two, my parents are splitting up soon. Number three, worst of all, we are moving, but I don't know where. My mother thinks back to Windsor at my grandparents' house, but my dad isn't moving there, so he is getting an apartment in town, and I'm going to try to live with him because he's going to live in Bell River, and that would be great. It's just my mom won't like that idea very much, and I know she won't give me up that easily. God help me. I need help.
3: I remember writing a lot about why doesn't somebody leave or why don't they just split up? They fight so much. I'm so sick of it. You know, please, somebody just leave. And then he finally did. I used to come home from school every day and I used to go down in the basement and we had a record player and I would play the same record over and over again. It was Dan Fogelberg um, over and over again, over and over again and cry and cry every day. And my mother never once came down or never wondered what i was doing nothing and uh i remember my dad came down it was great i think i was going into grade nine or grade ten and he said uh he said i'm gonna leave now and i said i know and he said um you know i'll call and i said okay whatever like it was just kind of like whatever and uh i mean it wasn't a shock to me but i just think i just wanted him to go Like, I just thought this was time for somebody to go. And I remember he just left. And we barely saw him after that. And I never wrote about it. I I don't know. I wrote about everything before and everything after, but nothing about that day.
0: It was years, years later. In fact, we weren't close. Until um, we had, you know, my mother had this breakdown in my when I was in my early twenties, and I moved, I came home, because my sister was dealing with it, and we just started talking about, you know, how hard it was and how scared we were sometimes, and how fun it was too, and how great. Like, we also had terrific memories about, you know, my mother was hilarious and spontaneous, and she was just. This big, bigger-than-life person, and my dad was very sweet and gentle, you know. But they just had a rotten marriage. So we would have these great chats at the lake, smoking cigarettes, and just catching up. And uh, and then we started talking about, you know, our diaries. and Mine were back in Toronto, and she started showing me hers, and I couldn't believe it.
1: Because you didn't you didn't know that she had been keeping diaries.
0: Not only that, but I couldn't believe what she wrote about. How sad she was. How how miserable she was how how miserable I
3: made her I used to wonder how could nobody see this in me she was so consumed with her life and I was so consumed with mine and my parents were so consumed with their fighting and all that stuff that nobody really we didn't pay attention to each other at that time we just were all just very focused on surviving on our own and just sort of getting through our own lives I thought she was the happiest person in the world you know, I thought that she had all these friends and that she had her, you know, her life was normal. I thought everything was normal for her, and I thought everything was not normal for me. And reading our diaries now, I realized that she was going through the same kind of, you know, sadness and loneliness as a teenager as I was.
1: Would you have ever imagined that possible when you were when you when you were a kid back then?
3: No, not at all. Not at all
0: that somebody that you shared 18 years of uh, life in a room with actually was some more similar to you than than not because I always wanted to have you know the sister and that is close to and I always imagined I'd grow up and, and you know find that and to just have had it under my nose all those years was just like that's a bonus then we've become so similar now like she's really my best friend I talk to her every day Voices you heard in Part 2 of Wiretap were Davy Rothbart of Found Magazine and Lisa and Suzanne Gabriel. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Wintonic. Reach us to our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.